in here, all right, and had a sour taste on our mouth Sunday, did we not? Yes, sir. And I asked you to respond. Offense, defense, special teams, all of it out there, picking each other up. That's what great teams do, guys. We pick each other up. But I am so proud of you for how you responded, okay? I asked you to own it, flush it. We did. I trust the people in this room, and we're going to do it together, all right? What's up, Browns fans? Welcome to a Victory Friday, September 23rd. A little different than your Victory Monday, but nonetheless, a sweet, sweet victory, as you heard from Kevin Stefanski. That was in the locker room, courtesy of the Browns, and the post-game, you know, team celebration setting. is really cool to hear them get fired up, and obviously hear from Kevin, and just the lead, man, the leadership of this guy is off the charts. If you've listened to me long enough, you know how much I respect him as a coach, not just for things he does as a play caller, designer, you know, of an offense, but but obviously to the stuff, the even-keeled nature, the the level-headedness he brings to that head coaching position. And nothing was more obvious than this past week here uh, in between the Monday-Wednesday stretch and some mic'd-up video stuff came out kind of going over the end of the game and the chaos uh, that happened between Nick Chubb scoring, Kevin Stefanski kind of talking about nothing over our heads. They're going to try to chunk play us. And, you know, then the next thing that happens is you see a, a touchdown throw and his reaction to the touchdown throw, which is, you know, obviously a, a huge momentum swinging situation in the in the Jets game and how he reacted to it and how he's talking about next play up, hands team, getting ready for that. They score a touchdown to win. And he's talking to Jacoby Brissett, talking about they got to bounce back from this. And that's what you saw. You don't get the result we saw, which is a 29-17 Browns win over the Steelers, which you can never have enough wins over the Steelers in your resume as Browns fans suffering against the Steelers as long as you have. You don't get that result unless you have leadership like Kevin at the, at the very top, talking about turning the page, flipping it forward. And it was really cool to hear his insights after the Jets game and then get that locker room moment of euphoria afterward. And, and all that comes with it. And I kind of cut out some of the stuff at the end, which was, hey, you know, we're going to give you Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, which is great because the guys are excited. They need a break. There's some stuff we're going to go over injury-wise that happened in this game and talk about some little intricacies of why these 10 days are so vital for them before they make the trip to Atlanta. But nonetheless, man, a fantastic win for the Cleveland Browns and a must-win. It really was a must-win coming off what happened against the Jets on Sunday to have gone in a short turnaround, and if you lose this game, you're talking about 10 days of disgruntled fan feelings, ownership feelings. It would have been nasty. They needed to win this game, and it wasn't pretty. There were parts of it you probably didn't like, I didn't like, the players didn't like, the coaching staff didn't like, the ownership didn't like, but they did enough good things to win a game. And winning games in the National Football League matters no matter who you beat because it's really hard to beat one of the other 31 franchises competing against against you and especially one in the AFC North. So really loved that outcome. Love what they have done. 
mentally to bounce back from what happened Sunday and push to two and one. So really excited for the organization and the people that matter inside that organization. So we're going to talk all about it. We're going to break it all down. Uh, as far as my first watch goes, you know you get the comprehensive breakdown the following day, which will be Saturday. A little bit of a weird schedule coming up. But before we do so, quick word from our Blue Wire sponsors. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform today. Playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250 k in cash alone. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb your leaderboard for a shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, even those over-unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up with this promo code, which is very simply for the fans of this podcast, OBR. Use that promo code OBR at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store and get a first deposit match up to $25. So again, promo code OBR. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Again, that promo code OBR, nohouseadvantage.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we get to break down some information from this game, which again, turned out to be pretty fun. A little bit of a frustrating start, frustrating first half. I think we could all agree on that, but it ended up finishing so, so well, uh, you know, according to what we were expecting, maybe at halftime for it to end the way it ended was, was really fantastic. So I talked through a lot of different things. You know what we do. We go through the team data first. We'll move to some of the other uh, peel back the layer stuff that we can get from the NFL stats page. But um, on the, uh, there's two key things here on the first level, the Browns 22 first downs to Pittsburgh's 20, it's pretty much the same about a wash. The third downs are where it's really tilted in Cleveland's favor. One of nine for Pittsburgh, Cleveland, six of 16. And a lot of the six of 16 is tied to some, uh, really cautious stuff they did at the very end of that game it was the longest two minutes of, uh, is it going to end? Is it not? It's just, it's never easy. I think we could all agree. Really wish it was easier, but it's never easy at times dealing with the timeouts and the two-minute warning. Man, the two-minute warnings in the NFL, both first half and second half, they really they just throw a wrench into everything. This is additional weird timeout that is uh, so so important for planning. Doesn't totally make sense, but nonetheless, threw this one for a bit of a loop as uh, you know, a situation where you reset the clock to 50 seconds, 25-second runoff, and 
You punt with 14 seconds left, which sucked because we all wanted to see them knee it out. I thought Nick got that first down. Nonetheless, again, one of nine. Again, a day where you didn't feel great about the defense, but a one of nine on third down is huge because they've been so bad on third down. Coming into this game, I think the Browns were worse than the NFL in third down percentage. So getting a one for nine, it matters. Pittsburgh goes for 308 yards, Cleveland 376. You got to talk about the offense again, and we are going to talk about it. I'm going to write about it uh, tomorrow and try to describe for you how I think Kevin Stefanski is doing so well for Jacoby Brissett and the rest of the group, getting them where they need to be. We'll break that all down in written form. For now, we'll talk through a little bit of it, but I'll deal, like I said, I'll deal with it a bit more tomorrow when you get your comprehensive breakdown where we we, we sort of peel back. Uh, a bit of the layers and look look behind the scenes and see what happened. But this is the formula I have been talking about, guys. 71 plays to Pittsburgh's 55. So Pittsburgh goes for a couple more decimal points here. Uh, average gain at 5.6, Cleveland's 5.3. But the Browns get the 71 plays, so they get to 376. They rush for 171. They throw for 205. It's not the 220 Brissett actually threw for because of a sack and lost yardage. But the penalties were low, only five. They had no turnovers. Beautiful thing. They had, again, I don't know that the Browns have had, I'm trying not to uh, speak out of turn here, but the Browns had have one turnover on the year. That last second interception on that drive that shouldn't even have had to happen against the Jets. That's their only turnover. They are taking care of the football. Now, we talk about the defense not necessarily generating a ton of turnovers. The only turnover they generated in this one was the fumble that screwed out a lot of betters uh, over-under number at the very end of this game to push it to 29-17 and push it past the over, which I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're a gambler and that happened to you, that sucks. But it's always a risk at play when a team has to punt and they're pinned down and the, and the lateral game starts happening. It's annoying, but it is what it is. And you're running that risk always running the over-under stuff. But anyway, the, the Browns haven't generated a ton of turnovers, to my point. They've generated one this week. They had one last week, the strip sack from Clowney. Uh, that turned into a turnover, and then they were able to generate one turnover in week one when they intercepted Baker Mayfield in the Delta thing. So they're they're um, at this point plus plus two, if my math is correct. I'm thinking back. It's not great considering they only have one turnover, but it could be worse. The fumble luck stuff still is hilarious to me. That fumble from um, you know uh, Jalen Warren up the right sideline, the backup running back, he fumbles it, and it just there's five Browns around it, and the one Steeler near it. It goes right to him. Some of that fumble luck on neutral situations, it's got to turn at some point. It's It's got to turn. That, that lateral game fumble doesn't count. I'm not allowing that to go into factor here. But, man, you got to hope that stuff flips at some point. Anyway, five punts each for both team. Listen, got to talk about our boy Cord Bihorquez. Man, this guy is... He's a professional punter, and I'll give him all the... We have seen the Jamie Gillen experiment was miserable at times and to get a professional punter who can put the ball down inside the five can switch the field entirely such a welcome thing such a welcome thing so shout out to him uh, i thought he did a great job uh, pinning uh, deep down in pittsburgh territory brown score four touchdowns the steelers only scored two one of one on field goals pittsburgh one of two it's just pretty rare to see pittsburgh and and um chris boswell miss a miss a kick but he did he missed it wide right there uh, timeouts remaining are not important, but time of possession is important. Where the Browns go for 36 to Pittsburgh's 23. So 13 more minutes of possession. Week one, they also had another great one. 38 minutes of possession for the Browns, 21 for Carolina. Week two would have been better had not the end of the game scenario happened, but the Browns went for 32 in that one and 27 for New York. So the script is the script, and they are following it, man. Control the football. Do not turn it over. Run the football. 
Timely passing, quick. Jacoby Brissett has been sacked three times all season so far. It's a fantastic number. And a couple of those, I think he could have got rid of the ball. But nonetheless, not terrible to take a sack. A sack a game is not the end of the world, especially if you're not forcing a mistake off of that pressure. So you feel great about that. They're not putting themselves in those situations that are ugly for a situation with the chains, right? So they're doing a fantastic job there, eliminating negative plays, and they're controlling the ball. They're, they're, they're over 30 minutes of possession. is It's awesome. Control the football, no turnovers, run the football, run the clock. That's what they're doing. They're capitalizing on drives, and they're opportunistic on offense. And, man, is it fun to watch. we got to talk about some individual performances as, again, baseline stuff here. Nick Chubb, 23 carries, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Kirk Herbstreit was fawning all over him, as he should be. He was phenomenal in this football game. It's great. I don't know what else to say. We're just we're privileged to watch this guy. I, I, I mean, like, week one, he goes 22 for 141, doesn't get in the end zone, but goes for 141 week uh, week two, uh, week two he goes for, and that was week one. Week two, 17, 87, three touchdowns. This week to go back up over 123, 113, and one. You know, he's not going to, I mean, look at the re- where he's going right now. I mean, he's on pace. He has 62 for 341 and four touchdowns right now. We've all talked about this a lot in the offseason about will they give Nick Chubb this season where they just go crazy giving him the football. But if you look at where he's going right now, the numbers are a bit insane. He's got... 62 rushes, 341 yards, and at this moment, four touchdowns. Uh, you know, if you're if you're talking about the, a season long stretching this out again over a over a season long window, it's pretty insane. You know, we we would be checking in at about 356 carries over a 17 game span, 1937 rushing yards for a 5.4 yard average, and 22 touchdowns is what he's on pace for. So, and you might think, man, 352 carries, that is a high number, but Derrick Henry had a 378 season in 2020, so it's not unheard of. If he gets to 356, just a shade under 2,000 yards, Henry that season had 17 touchdowns. We've all been asking for it. Maybe this is the year. They're running these running backs like crazy. A guy in the stands wearing the run the ball Kevin shirt or something stupid, ignorant, like the Browns aren't running the football. Another 35 carries designed for the running backs in this game. Last week, 30 carries in that game. The week before that, week one, 33 carries. They are running these two running backs like crazy. And even looking at Kareem Hunt, you stretch out his totals. He's sitting at 36, 151 on the ground alone. I'm not even talking rushing for these guys in a touchdown through three weeks. Stretch that out over a full season. That's 204 carries, 855, a less efficient 4.2 yards per carry, but six touchdowns. Imagine having a 1,900-yard rusher and an 855-yard rusher. This isn't going to hold true because games fluctuate. They'll have down games. But, like, I mean, these guys are playing really efficient football, and they're running it well. Their O-line is remaining relatively healthy uh, given losing Nick Harris. But getting Jack Conklin back, we'll watch how these guys all played. But Jedrick Wills came back from the little ankle issue that he had. He got kind of rolled up on. I mean, these running numbers are insane. And, and and for anybody who's questioning how much they're running the football, I just I really can't understand where you're coming from because they're doing it effectively and efficiently. And I, I will look at it at the end of week three and report back to you next week. They're the best running football in the NFL right now. I don't think there's even a question about it. And, the, and where they're going based on these numbers is it's bananas. So it's worth noting, again, three games in and you're stretching things out over a period, but 
it's just it's it's so good. It's really effective, and this is what you want—the type of football you want them to play. And you look at Jacoby Brissett in this one; he was he was he was great. I mean, I I don't know what the numbers will bear out, but twenty-one of thirty-one, two twenty-two touchdowns, no interceptions, a one hundred nine passer rating. It's phenomenal. I don't have CPOE, and I'll go over all of that tomorrow. But like in the Pro Football Focus grade, but the, these are so good. He was so good in this game, decisive, out of empty and gun sets he was accurate downfield when he needed to be so clean and play action again stepping up delivering the football and and again the scramble stuff when he would create when something's not there has been in a really nice surprise you mix in his ability to get under center and quarterback sneak stuff which again you can be a, i've seen big guys that can't do it that won't do it so it's not just because he's big that he's able to do it i mean hell roethlisberger would never do it and he's gigantic it's it's a it's a want to and he's really good at it step slide you know that's the thing it's not just take the snap and fall forward you got to kind of find a crease and it's it's natural some guys can't find that crease but baker mayfield wouldn't do it he just wouldn't do it he wasn't big enough and he was afraid of it he was never an under center quarterback Brissett's comfortable with it and on a third and short fourth and short those are so huge to know you can pick up the first down no matter what because you have a quarterback that understands the fall forward momentum and then you get teams leaning and when we saw the team leaning the way Pittsburgh was jumping up toward the center at the last second they ran that little wedge down block handoff fullback to to Kareem Hunt like you got so many little wrinkles off of it and it was a lot of fun and I just can't say how impressed I can't really put it into words how impressed I was from Brissett man some some real strikes the Najoku touchdown was a thing of beauty you really really liked uh, that delivery of the football kind of high-pointing that in the back of the end zone, that was fantastic. Obviously, the Amari Cooper touchdown, very smooth again, kind of step-up delivery. The Browns have struggled to throw the ball in the red zone the last few years, at least efficiently up the seams, and Brissett has done so well. He's been is is advertised plus some in terms of taking care of the ball, but also still delivering it. He's played a great two games, a pretty average to below first game where he missed some throws, but the last two have been so, so good from him. And and I like to stretch out stats, as you know I like to, over a, a longer sample size. And what you're looking at him from 11 games, is it's interesting, and it's not what we expected. You're talking about over a se- 17 games. If Jacoby were to start the entire season, 17 games, he would go 345 of 521 at his current pace. That's 66%, 3,377 yards, 22 touchdowns, and six interceptions. So you're talking about a season pretty similar to Baker Mayfield's 2020. A few few less yards and touchdowns, but less interceptions and a higher completion percentage is where he's trending right now. We all talked about the best version of Baker Mayfield and what the Browns are able to get in 2020. Well, that's what you're getting with Jacoby Brissett. So that's a replaceable contract, and you start to talk about, hey, man, uh, why would you not give somebody like Mayfield a great big contract? Well, this is an element that plays into it. You can find, they think, replaceable play from a quarterback like Brissett. Or, you know, they think they can guide him to that. We'll see if it works out for the full season. But that was their thought process, guys. Over the, the course of 11 games, you're talking about a uh, 223 number. So you're talking about 223 of 337, 2,185 yards, 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. That's his, That's the pace if he were to play the 11 games before Watson comes back, and we presume he will. I mean, it's fantastic stuff. It is really, really great. So uh, shout-out to Jacoby Brissett, who deserves credit, praise for his ability to step in in weird situations like this and produce good play. 
Otherwise, receiving in this game, uh, Amari Cooper continues to shine, man. Again, zone, man, whatever. He's he's so good. His ability to attack the blind spot is just so so deadly, and it's not talked about enough with receivers when you can attack that blind spot and make a corner turn, lose track of you for a split second, create that separation. His deep over route was so good on that big third down uh, play action concept. On the day, he goes with 11 targets. He catches seven of them for 101 and a touchdown. He had two drops. I think you would want those back. That third, sorry, the fourth down drop was a little bit of a weird catch, but he should have hauled that thing in because he wasn't contacted. And then the ball on that glance route that hit him in the face mask that Brissett kind of ripped into a window on a late fourth quarter, third down. I think he would want those back. You get those, it's an even bigger day. Again, 7-101 and a touchdown on the season. He's gone uh, 19 catches, 219 yards on the year, partly because his his uh, week one was so slow where he only had three for 17, but he should have had an even bigger game. But the three for 17, then last week, as we know, he goes nine for 101, and then you mix in this one where he goes seven for 101. You get to that number, the 19, two, 19, and two touchdowns. You stretch that out over the course of a full season, again, hoping he's able to do that. 103 catches, 1,241 yards, and 11 touchdowns. That would be the singular best season we've seen from a Browns receiver in a good amount of time since Josh Gordon. But that would also be some of the better numbers he's ever put up in his career. He has not had a 100-catch season. He had 92 catches in 2020. He had 83 catches with the Raiders. He has crossed over the 1,100-yard mark a few times, but never 12, never 1,200. He had two 1,100-yard seasons with the Cowboys. And he had a five touchdown, eight touchdown season. You're talking about eleven touchdown pace. They, I said before the season, they should be targeting this guy a ton. He should get upwards of 150 or more targets. You're talking about targets through the first three games of the season for Cooper. Eleven targets in this one. You had eleven targets to last week. Ten targets, twenty-one. You had twenty-one to his first week targets, and some of these were taken away. But still, he had six. There was a couple penalties that cost him at least two more targets. So you're stretching out. Right? 11, 10, 6, 27. You put that over the course of a season. So you're doing 27, just kind of averaging it out. He's averaging 9. You add that out, 14. That's 126 on top of his. He's pushing it. He's right at the 150 mark. So that's the number I think you want. If you can get him up over 100 catches, he's on a good pace to be a very, very productive player this season for the Browns and an underrated trade. It's probably not talked about enough how they were able to fleece him away for just a fifth-round pick, and it's one of the better wide receiver trades of all the different wide receiver trades that happen in a crazy offseason of movement. It's kind of hidden under the radar. Otherwise, in this one, David Njoku goes 9 for 89 in a touchdown, and he finally felt like an important target a trusted uh, member of the passing game, and this is the guy that you pay. If he can block like he blocks, he's getting a, a 10 targets, 9 catches, 89. He did have one catch there down in the in the red zone. He probably wants back going up and trying to catch it, but a fantastic touchdown catch, a big part of third down chain movement. He was great, and in my opinion, Amari Cooper, David Njoku, 11 targets, 10 targets, that's the formula for the passing game. They're your two most ta- ta- talented pass catchers. Sorry, it's t- it's 2.57 in the morning. I'm recording this. I'm losing my brain here a bit, but those are your two most important talented players you need to take advantage of them so i love seeing that target share uh the otherwise uh, pretty quiet for most of the others and they're going to have to get a lot of these other guys included at some point in the passing games because teams are going to take away david and they're going to certainly start doubling up amari before we know it because you just can't let him be the only one that beats you but in this one kareem hunt gets four 
targets, three catches, 14 yards, caught one out of the backfield, had another chance for one he dropped. He had a screen. He was moving well. Donovan Peoples-Jones, one for 10. It's been a weird start. I think he'll continue to get targeted more than the last two games. He only had three targets in this one and only one in the Jets game. But again, if, if teams aren't going to take away Amari Cooper, you're silly not to go to him. David Bell had a third down catch that ended up just a couple yards short of a first down. He had one for six. And then uh, Miller Forrestal and Nick Chubb also had targets, but not a reception. So the discrepancy of targets, twenty uh, sorry, yeah, 21 of those going to... Uh, David Njoku and Amari Cooper is a perfect number for me. That kind of wraps up the offense. I thought the O-line was great. The run game diversity, man, I can't wait to talk about on the next pod. They did wide zone, counter, power, duo. They did their pin pull from gun. They were, they were, they're damn effective. There we are. We are blessed to watch those guys uh, manipulate run game between Callahan, Stefanski, Van Pelt, and the guys they have up there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, that wraps up the offense. Going to take one last quick break, and then we'll return and talk about the defense and close out this pod. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the defense is a tale of two halves, ironically enough, uh, in this one. So they, like I said, on Pittsburgh's side, Najee Harris goes 15 for 56 touchdown. John Johnson had some embarrassing red zone moments that he would probably like to have back, both on that first Najee Harris touchdown, then Mitch Trubisky ran for a touchdown as well that John didn't get the tackle completed. He has got to be better. He started out slow last year, but he's got to get better, man. He's got to make plays. Where's that playmaker from L.A.? They need that guy. They needed the swagger that he was supposed to bring, too. Jalen Warren, who I like, that number 30, he had four carries for 30. Claypool had that one sweep for 11 yards. Trubisky, again, two for seven and a touchdown. Mitch threw 20 of 32, 207, no interceptions, no touchdowns. Kind of a true Mitch Trubisky game where it's just like he existed and he did the bare minimum. Various, he just doesn't want to push the football into advantage situations. He did give some fade opportunities, and I thought Deontay Johnson, who's he's so talented, and I at times... Thought he had Denzel Ward in a blender. That is just it's a matchup that Denzel usually handles shiftier, smaller receivers really well, but he did not handle him well in this one. Eight for 84 on 11 targets for Johnson. Fryermuth had those two fourth quarter uh, receptions that resulted in 41 as the second receiver. Seven targets to George Pickens for three catches, 39. And I got to say, the ball that he caught there in the first half with the right arm extension is as impressive a catch as I have seen in that sort of uh, that catch type that, that over the shoulder weirdness that, I mean, since Odell, it was, it was an amazing, amazing catch. And he's very talented. We all knew that very talented chase Claypool three for 35 in this one, kind of a non-factor Harris caught three for five. Jalen Warren caught one for three. That's your, 
Steelers wrap up on the on the Browns defense side. They had just one sack in this game that Jacob Phillips rushed. They did create a lot of pressure. We'll see the football was still coming out quick. And Trubisky talked about this in the post game. He said basically the Browns were rotating coverages. They weren't really playing man. They were playing more cover six, rotating in some cover three. He mentioned they played some quarters as well, but he talked a lot about quarter, quarter, half. So uh, the Browns were pretty much who they are and what we talked about in the pregame. They're not going to alter the course of where they are in three days. They just had to communicate better, and we didn't see any coverage busts in this game, really. We saw a couple good throws that resulted in tight coverage catches, but we did not see people running wide open. We'll break it down. There were a couple little instances of scrambles or boots that were a bit tight in scenarios, but, but not altogether too bad I thought the defense cleaned up a lot of their issues and again when you start the first half of this game Steelers went for 197 in total net yards they ran for 88 and threw for 109 in the first half we all had massive cause for concern the, the second half was just a complete flip the script they were 0 for 3 Pittsburgh on third downs uh, in the third quarter sorry that's the fourth quarter let's look at third quarter they were one for two in the third quarter but only total of net 50 yards they ran for 16 and passed for 34. So that's a that's definitely a positive at that moment to hold a team to 50 yards, get them off the field. They only scored uh, three points in the second half. That fourth quarter field goal they kicked after getting into kind of garbage time where the Browns were just sort of trying to keep everything, which has not always been easy, funneled right in front of them. So uh, in this one they had uh, fourth quarter 0 for 3 on third down, 61 total yards. So the Browns were able to hold them to 111 second-half yards uh, they, they only went 61 passing yards and no rushing yards is obviously pushing the ball down the field. And on the other hand, the Browns in the third quarter and fourth quarter outgained them substantially. So you mix that in. Defense can play solid, get off the field, timely scenarios. That's what you need. JOK in this game uh, left with a groin. We're going to have to see sort of what's up with that. The linebacker things in fluctuation because Anthony Walker had a serious knee, lower leg injury. We'll see what it is. They put him in an air cast, which is never a good sign, carted him off. I don't feel like we'll be seeing him the rest of the year, which sucks because he was playing so well. He had six tackles in this game before he left uh, on top of some really great play before. Otherwise, tackle leaders, Jacob Phillips had seven. Grant Delpit had six. Denzel Walker had five. Uh, Looks like uh, John Johnson also had five in this one. Rochelle, four. Emerson, four. Taki Taki three miles two Taven Bryant two kind of down the line, and then the fumbles in this one. John Johnson forced that late fumble, and then Denzel recovered it in the end zone. I kind of call that a fluky turnover, but the defense was better. They kept everything in front of them. They challenged Pittsburgh in the second half a little bit more, and I think they made them a, a, a touch more uncomfortable. And I think that's what they have to do. They have to get quarterbacks off their first read to give Miles and when Clowney comes back, those guys time to get home. Miles had so many near sacks. In this game, he stays on uh, three games, uh, three sacks, so he's on pace to have another good season. We'll see if he can stack more together in other games. But for now, you feel good about the improvement in the second half. There are certainly times that you wish they could make a play in the backfield. They had several scenarios where I thought they had the quarterback corralled and they missed the play. The coverage, I thought, was just a step slow at times. And I don't think Pittsburgh took advantage of it the way the Jets did, and we'll be interested to see if the Falcons can manipulate some way to take advantage of it. But... Can they continue, though, to stay out of their own way? Can, ball gets caught and avoid and cover three, cover four, whatever. Fine. I can deal with that. What I can't deal with is guys not being what they're supposed to be, and I at least thought in this game guys were where they were supposed to be, which is important in winning a football game with a less talented quarterback on the opposition. So they did it. They did those things. They challenged them. The offense was able to put up enough points. The 23 points were able to put up 
enough, again, to keep the Steelers into catch-up mode. And when you have Mitch Trubisky trying to play catch-up, it's not always going to end very well. So you like that. Uh, otherwise, the only thing that stood out to me is, again, special teams, man. H- how many times can can Prefer get away with this? I, I mean, he was here before Stefanski, but he's kind of connected to Stefanski. He's intertwined with it. But the 12 men on the field stuff, man, as a special teams coach, you are really in charge of <laughs> – you have your schemes and you do your things – you you plan accordingly, but on the game day, it's you're in charge of letting people know where they're supposed to be. Hey, let's get the punt team over here. And I know some guys are on the field and they stick around. The guys are on offense, defense is not a huge roster the way colleges and high schools are. Certain high schools, certainly not all of them are gigantic, but some of them are. So so certain guys do have to stay out there. But like if an injury happens to say Walker, who's a heavily involved special teams player, or somebody else, you can to have twelve men on the field in important scenarios is so inexcusable. And you start to wonder, like, what value added is Pre for bringing? Because the, the the hands team, the way they approach the onside recovery were, were several of the front-line guys, and you have to split them. It used to be everybody kind of huddled to one side of the field. The NFL got rid of that and sort of split how many guys you can have on certain sides of the field. So you can't attack it the way you used to and kind of high-kick it and go after people. But the Browns have, like... There's not enough guys because you split because you have to balance both sides of the field in case they go in one direction or the other. Like if you looked last week, the Jets kind of looked like they were going right, but Brendan Mann was talented enough to cross over and kick this one in, I don't know, 15,000 perfect kick. It's probably that number's too high, but it was just an unbelievably perfect kick. But you have to go after the football. We have They have too many guys running to try to block guys. If it's even numbers, why are we blocking people? Then no one's going to be on the furthest guy outside to block him for that guy pursuing the football. Hey, let's everybody just get, like, be ready to get the ball. Like, what are you, what are they doing for that situation? Now, they got lucky, kind of, that the ball didn't get recovered because there was a penalty too, but it was uncomfortable. And I know you were uncomfortable watching it, and so was I. So what is Pre for adding? What value? He can't really affect kicking all too much because kicking is a skill and you can teach him little intricacies of it and what you've learned, but kickers usually work with specialists. You're not really messing with that, but everything surrounding kickoff, like, stop taking the ball out of the end zone. Why are they, why is Jerome Ford not taught that if the ball is in the end zone, just knee it. Your chances of coming out of the end zone to gain net positive yards is so minuscule. It's so minuscule to the risk of bringing it out and being tackled at the 15-yard line. Like, it's not worth it. Just knee it, save the time, and go to the 25-yard line and go from there. There's no excuse to bring it out. I think most of the Cade York kicks were into the end zone and gone. They should be every time. Why worry about it? You don't need to. Stop trying to air kick the ball down to the goal line and have the other team bringing it out because you think you can pin them and you have three returns past the 30-yard line last week. He makes everything more difficult than it needs to be. And I think you could say the same thing about some guys on defense, but Prefer stands out to me continually because special teams should be so simple. It should be so simple, and there's just a bunch of hesitancy around the special teams. Guys, look, they just don't look confident. They really don't look confident, and it, it bothers me. So... I think the prefer thing is running its course with me. I don't really, again, I don't see what value he is really adding to the situation in Cleveland, especially with specials. Like, where has he made them better? And I don't really understand where he's made them better. You can argue with me on this, and I don't like, again, to remove coordinators, but removing a special teams guy is, is certainly not the end of the world because not everything changes. You can have somebody step in and maybe switch up some philosophies of this guy who clearly cannot figure out the philosophy that is going to be best to get the most out of this special teams group. So uh, again, I I think I'm just like, that's the one spot to me that is so concerning. We'll see 
What happens at linebacker? I think we're all eyes on that one to see where it goes with certain positions and how they're able to uh, overcome Walker and whether the groin injury for JOK is going to result in a lot of missed time. We hope not. Uh, but because they need him. But Jacob Phillips, Tony Fields, and Sione Takitaki did a nice job stepping in and playing important roles uh, in, in kind of a time of a pressing time of need right there. So that was certainly uh, certainly good to see. Otherwise, I think it's worth noting to me, I talked about the punter, Cade York kicked it pretty well. He did miss a PAT, but for the most part kicked it well. That was his first experience in the whirling winds of First Energy Stadium. And there was certainly one end of the field giving the kickers a more left-to-right feel that was messing with him. I know that's certainly why Boswell missed his kick, and I think it impacted York as well. So, again, as much experience as he can get in there, the better. He did make kicks that mattered. I thought that was important, but he's got to clean up the extra points. He's missed two extra points through three games. Find your comfort zone there, young man. They're they, they certainly going to need you. The other name I wanted to mention is Chester Rogers, back to return kicks. It, it appears, I don't know, but it appears the Demetric Felton experiment might be over. I'm not entirely sure on this one, but he was inactive for this game, and to me, it uh, certainly leaves a lot of questions to be to be uh, analyzed in terms of what his future role is, but I thought Chester Rogers looked really good, comfortable catching punts and weird wins at, at Cleveland, and it, it's just nice again, like talked about the punter situation, right, where Bajorquez is doing a great job just kind of being a professional punter, and we missed some of those things. The Browns signed Jakeem Grant, didn't get the result due to the injury, but nonetheless, uh, getting somebody like Rogers, who's just a consistent catcher of the football, is important to me, so... I like to see that. Again, Demetric Felton, it's something to pay attention to. I I just think that experiment's over. He, they were running him on these these fake fly sweeps and stuff and not a consistent catcher of the football in the punt return game. And obviously, Jerome Ford has taken over the kick return stuff as he's still listed as the kick returner Felton is, but he's not. So Ford has taken over that. I just don't know what Felton's future role is. He's never He's been this wide receiver with air quotes, but he's never actually done it they don't actually put him on routes that matter so I'm not sure where that experiment's going but having him inactive for a game that he was healthy is a bit of a weird outcome so that wraps up today's show we will get super you know analytical and uh, film-based tomorrow for you break this thing down in more detail that will be out Saturday again it's a weird arrangement of days with a Thursday night game but um, you know I hate them because I'm up so late doing work here but I think they're cool for the fans getting a nighttime game and I think again I think Amazon does a good job so uh, I've been a little bit slow on content lately. Uh, I've I've I posted about it, but we put down our dog, uh, which was for a guy in my stand. I've never really lost anybody or anything that I've been close to me. I've been very fortunate, and that was extremely hard. And it's still hard, you know, kind of hard every moment uh, missing my guy Toby, who was with me for 13 years and every step of the way of where life's taken me. And um you know, hard, really, really hard. So I've been a little bit MIA recently, but tried to get some pods recorded out in front of what I knew was going to be a really hard Tuesday night. So you guys said some really great things on Twitter. I appreciated them. And I know, uh, you know, Toby's still around in spirit and all of that. And I'm trying to get to the point of acceptance, but uh, coming out of it, okay. And a Browns win really helped. I hope you guys enjoy your victory Monday. You deserve it, man. It was a rough few days after that Sunday debacle, but you really deserved it. Check us out more. Twitch, website. I'll have a great article up for you tomorrow. Have a great day, guys. Go Browns.